Welcome to the Wanderlust Journal podcast, based upon great storytelling. We'll be sharing adventures, recommendations, and tips for the aspiring writer. I'm your host, Sarah Leamy. I am a wanderer since I was a teenager hitching across France. I usually travel alone with dogs and in various vehicles. I'm the author of Van Life, Bring a Chainsaw, and numerous others. And I have a master's degree in writing and publishing, so you are in good hands today. If you'd like to hear more, simply subscribe, stick around, and we'll take you around the world. In today's episode, we'll be focused on the topic of solo travelers. It seemed appropriate since I'm about to head to Baja, Mexico tomorrow on my own in the van. And since my 20s, I've been inspired by women, mostly women, who went out on their own despite cultural expectations to stay home as wives and mothers, which I did not. So with this episode in mind, I did more research and came up with a list of incredible adventurers of all ages from all countries and their different modes of travel. And so we have a sample today. We are going to start with Anna Oberg, and she uh, published with Wild, Wild Dog Press quite a while ago, and it was, I believe, 2019. And here's a little piece called On Lostness. There is only one way to go. Because of the collapsing hillside and rotten rock, it takes much longer than I, than I anticipate to top out on Nimbus' gorgeous summit. After a few photos in the bright noon light, I stand there inhaling the view of Long's Peak to the east, idly wondering if I'll ever make it up that mountain. I dawdle, sipping water from my camelback, trying to persuade myself to descend from where I currently stand. Down, I find, is every bit as hard as up, and it takes just as long. I creep my way towards the green pass below, tumbling every three steps as the unsteady mountain gives way, and I go sliding with it. My shins are bloody from the loose shifting rocks, and dramatically, true to form, I wonder if I will make it, or if I'll die there in the sun with the ravens circling overhead, waiting to pick my bones and leave me to bloat and bleach in the heat of the day. Finally I reach the line where the insufferable scream meets the grass, and my relief is short-lived. However, as almost immediately I celebrate by gulping the last of my water, a hollow sucking sound laces through the blue straw attached to the now empty bladder in my running backpack. Facing a thirsty six miles back to my car, I comfort myself with a half-smile and the thought of what I'll write about. I retrace my route. Elated, I hit the summit, but slightly worried I'll be dehydrated when I get back to the trailhead. As I follow the path with my eyes and my feet, my thoughts scatter elsewhere, preoccupied by the material, the details of this terrain story, this day, this difficult adventure. Predictably for the season, thick afternoon clouds build dark anvils in the west, and as I run, the green valley gives way to dapple shade as I re-enter the woods. Turning a full circle, I digest the four cardinal points, covering only a bit of ground. Soon I don't know which direction I've come or where I should be going. Something like truth or an idea less lofty enters my head in the span of this pause. It is reality settling in, taking up lodging. Comprehension surfaces in the intermittent sun as I watch the storm build, the bottom edges of the clouds turning a heavy grey, rain imminent. Suddenly I know, full and coldly, relentlessly, well you fa can't fucking stand, stay here. As much as I want to, as much as I would love to sit down and cry, I can't. There was a whirring note in my head on repeat telling me I have to move. I'm not calm. My heart gallops, blood pounding in my ears. I try imagining the way I think the trail would have gone, should have gone, and I go that way. 
right into the bog, sharp willows tearing my legs, three inches of icy water pouring over the tops of my running shoes. A sickening squelch follows every step, the suction of the mud beneath the surface, nearly sliding each foot from its shoe, further flooding me with distraction. This is all the water, the very sea of it, I dreamt of when I chose this mountain, Nimbus, by its name. And that was Anna Oberg. And let's see, let's find that. She is a professional photographer based in Estes Park, Colorado. <clears throat> when she's not arranging family portraits with a perfect view of Long's Peak as a backdrop, she focuses on writing tiny memories and small stories. She has been published in Cleaver Magazine, Burning Wood Literary Journal, The Main Review, Causeway Lit and Herstory Blog. And I'll put a link below so you can read more. So the one reason I included this, apart from this, the that sense of you're off on an adventure, you're doing what you thought you wanted to do, everything was planned out, and suddenly you haven't got a fucking clue. And she captures that. Like I, ca- I love specifically her love of and her use of verbs. I mean, she's just very, they're very vibrant. They're, let's see, let's go back to some of them. Sharp willows tearing my legs. Icy water pouring over the tops, a sickening squelch, suction of mud sliding each foot, flooding me with distraction. I mean, all of these verbs and her way of describing what she was going through is a very physical. We know exactly what she's doing and where she is. I think that's a really good tip for when you're writing. Write it out, get it out. And then after a couple of days, go back and look at each verb and see if you can make it a little more evocative and a little more strong. So that was that was a start for today. I also wanted to include and talk about Amelia Earhart, who was the first female pilot to cross the Atlantic Ocean, and she was also the first pilot to cross both the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. When I was crossing the States in a 1999 Toyota pickup truck with my dog Daisy, I was heading out from New Mexico to the East Coast just because I was sick of winter in New Mexico because it's really bloody cold. And I ended up at a Halloween party in Tennessee, in Nashville to be precise. And I didn't really know anyone there. But I'd been invited. Someone had been really polite and invited me along. So I showed up in just my usual everyday clothes. And someone there asked me what my costume was. And then she smiled. She said, oh, I know, you're Amelia Earhart. And I said, yes, yes, I am. But to be honest, I wasn't. I was just in my usual raggedy clothes, um, jackets, shaggy short hair and a big smile. And I look at photos and I see the likeness. So Amelia Earhart, everybody, was one of the first women to, or she was the first woman to cross the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans in a plane, flying solo. She uh, wrote four books. The one I did, let's see, Last Flight, put together by the publisher of her pieces that she'd sent to various newspapers as she was, it was like journal entries, as she, she sent back to the United States during her world flight attempt when she tried to circumnavigate the world solo and her and her plane disappeared in 1937. Oh, here we go. Here's a list of things she did. Woman's World Altitude Record in 1922. First woman to fly the Atlantic Ocean in 1928. Speed Records. First woman to fly an auto hero in 1931, whatever that is. First woman to cross the United States in one of those auto heroes. Uh, first woman to fly the Atlantic solo in 1932. First 
person to fly the Atlantic twice in 1932. First woman to receive the Distinguished Flying Cross. First woman to fly nonstop coast to coast across the U.S. Speed transcontinental record. First person to fly solo between Honolulu, Hawaii and Oakland, California in 1935. First person to fly solo from Los Angeles to Mexico City in 1935. And, you know, she... She wrote four books, 20 hours and 40 minutes, The Fun of It and Last Flight, which I just mentioned. On another historical pilot story, how many people had heard of Bessie Coleman? I had not until I started researching this, looking for inspiring explorers. Bessie Coleman was the first African-American woman and also the first woman of Native American descent to hold a pilot's license in the US. She grew up in Texas, yeah. Oh, she was born in 1892 and lived until 1926, so she had a very short but influential life. In 1918, Bessie Coleman was inspired by her brother, or rather uh, provoked by her brother, who pointed out that a lot of French women could fly. But at the time, very few American women of any race had pilot's licenses in 1918. As I just said, Amelia Earhart, I believe it was in 1921 or 1922. So... This is a time of extreme racism in the States, and those women pilots that did have uh, did have access to trying to get a pilot's license in the 1920s were white and wealthy, and Coleman was not. But she realized that she had an option to learn in France, in Paris, if it really was true, that she could learn to... She could access training and so she did she was the only student of color in her class but within seven months she got her pilot's license she was just really respected and really made a way in a real place for herself as to encourage other african-americans to fly she stood up for women's rights she stood up for black rights african-american rights and she did she was a real good um role model Unfortunately, she did die of an uh, accident, 1926, and it was a flight accident. But, you know, she did what she wanted, and someone you should look out for, Bessie Coleman. Unfortunately, she did not write any books. She was too busy flying, so I couldn't find any direct quotes from hers or any books of hers. But I think she is worth looking into and trying to find out more about. Next up, we have something from Karen Dark. We fly towards the kingdom of Bhutan, a special Royal Bhutanese Airlines flight into the land known for happiness and sustainability. We are privileged to be on this first flight in since COVID. I feel grateful for this rare experience to explore what is known as the last Shangri-La, somehow reverent and with a sense of unexplainable responsibility to share insight and learning from this journey with others. What will we discover from this magical place that was isolated from the outside world for so long? The only carbon-negative country in the world, leaders in sustainable conservation, valuing human well-being over finance and materialism. The government makes development decisions based on impact to gross national happiness rather than gross national product. Bhutan is a country that remains that maintains its cultural identity, resisting the tentacles of globalization. Television was only introduced in the last two decades, and it is still a difficult place to access without effort and resources. A few days later, we are in an early morning meditation with nuns, later sharing a chilly breakfast with them that burns our lips and strips our insides. 
We walk through the heart of the giant golden Buddha that sits above Bhutan's capital city of Timpu and find ourselves somewhat beyond words. We are already imbued with the energy of the Bhutan, forest-coated mountains, friendliness and smiles, and a spiritual fabric of being that embodies deep-held values of kindness and compassion. We explore the ideas behind the Centre for Gross National Happiness. We listen to the vision to create a a unique place of reflection, learning and action, where nature, culture and spirituality blend in a harmonious way towards happiness and compassion for the world. We are fascinated and inspired to take the vision home and translate it into our own unique ways. We journey deeper into the Black Mountains to the heart of the Trongsa Valley and central Bhutan. We are now pilgrims to the Kedrup Rinpoche's monastery, Clinging to the mountainside, the blessed rains fall upon us as we toss and turn on hard mattresses designed to ease occupants into a 4.30am rise for morning meditation. Clouds swirl below us and mist hangs on the peaks above us as we lift our sleepy selves into the 8th century monastery. We are led by his, ho- led by his holiness through a gratitude practice, a, be- a breathing practice and a mantra meditation. Karen Duck, I wanted to give you a little bit from her website. The link is below. She states, Ability is a state of mind, not a state of body. I started my working life as a geologist in the Bolivian Andes, researching gold, but a life-changing accident left me paralyzed from the chest down. I moved away from being a rock doctor to exploring both outside and within. I love to discover and find ways to align mind, body, and spirit to to do extraordinary things. This has led me to ski across ice caps, kayak at extreme latitudes of the planet, and hand cycle the world's biggest mountain ranges and longest rivers. I believe we create results and happiness from the inside out. Utilizing our thoughts, the language of our mind and our emotions, the language of our body, we can create health and freedom. I believe that with desire, awareness and resources and permission to unleash who we truly want to be, anything is possible. See life as a giant adventure to learn and grow with and seek the gifts that hide within the challenge. That then is Karen Dark, and like I said, the link's below. And her website, just so you know, is karendark.com, and it's D-A-R-K-E. Amazing woman, amazing stories, great. The blog that we uh, included earlier was actually from this year, so she's ongoing. She does public speaking. She has blogs about stories and adventure. She has books, podcasts. Um, Incredible, incredible woman. So I hope some of these stories have inspired you. I'd like to introduce another writer called Sarah Marcus. She is has been traveling around from Siberia to Australia. And the one book I really want to check out is called Wild by Nature. And she did three years alone in the wilderness on foot. But the one little thing, I'm going to come back to her on the next episode, which is more about the art of solo travels and how you do it and how you stay safe and more um, of a how-to, more of an advice. But this there's a link below in the episode notes uh, of an interview with her. And the interviewer asked, how do you keep coming up with new things to do? And Sarah Marcus wrote, I let myself breathe. It's been a year since I came back from the last one and I wrote the book and did a massive promotion of it. And now I'm finally breathing. And then you have to have space between things. You need to leave your life. I never decide where I go. I always get inspiration from something, an idea, a picture. Then it grows inside me. It's always a situation of synchronization. And I just wanted to add that little quote as 
again, it brings us back to the theme of this podcast, which is inspiring people, inspiring solo trips, and hopefully, like her, there's an idea, a picture, uh, a story that grows inside you and will take you far. So thanks for listening today. Uh, We will be coming back with more of a how-to on the art of solo travels, talking about planning, budgets, packing, eating, engagement, safety, and all of those things. So thanks for listening. Please subscribe so I know people are out there and have a great day.